This is Dr. Kara Shepard, and you're listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. Thanks for listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. I think we are on episode 19, and I'm going to chat a little bit about care for your pregnant doe. It's that time of year. Today is February 1st, and this is the time of year where some people are starting kidding, uh, depending on where you are located in the world and uh, what your preferences are Uh, so I hope this is going to be some useful and timely information for anyone who is expecting kids this spring as always this podcast is provided with the intent to educate and inform it is not a substitute for professional medical advice or veterinary care provided by your primary veterinarian And I strongly encourage you to establish and maintain a current and valid VCPR veterinarian-client-patient relationship with your local vet. Uh, If you have any questions or comments or things you would like to hear me chat about as I drive around, please always feel free to email me at goatdoccara at gmail.com. It's G-O-A-T-D-O-C-C-A-R-A at gmail.com. The website is goatdoc.com, and there's a little contact tab there if you like to send me a message, or you can follow me on Instagram at goat underscore doc. So, talking about your pregnant doe, uh, I guess there's a couple... Care for your pregnant doe is going to depend a little bit on how you manage your doe at the end of her lactation curve as well. Um, I've talked a little bit about breeding and uh, advanced reproductive techniques in previous episodes, and I guess I'll probably mostly kind of focus on... Like, if you're in North America, um, and especially kind of the more northern latitudes, uh, you're going to have a more seasonal seasonal, uh, behavioral estrus and breeding seasons. Uh, Depending on what breed of goat you're raising, uh, those may be more uh, strongly influenced by the seasons. As you probably know by now, I raise Nubians. They tend to be very seasonal. I don't tend to do a lot of hormonal manipulation uh, to get does to breed outside of when they normally would. And, um, yeah, that's, it kind of is, is what it is. It works well for us to have a spring kidding season and then dry off at the end of the year. Uh, So, but I started talking about that a little bit because the, when you are milking a doe, you can continue to milk her even after she is bred. 
So let's say it's October, so it's the fall, and you should be having, at least in New England, you should be having behavioral asterisks in October normally, and you certainly can breed a doe while she is still milking. It's very, very commonly done. That... So, you, But what you have to remember about that is that there's going to be a metabolic strain on that animal to continue to produce milk and start to produce babies. The first two months of pregnancy, probably even the first three months of pregnancy, are it, like it is doable for a healthy, well-fed, well-maintained, low-parasite burden animal is very reasonable for a doe to continue milking and be bred. Uh, your normal, if you do anything like milk test or anything like that, like your normal milking period, like your lactation that is measured is a 300-day lactation, and sometimes that's inferred uh, depending on how serious you are about it, but like you're shooting for a 300-day lactation, which is about 10 months. So you, if you want that dough to be bred again the next year, then she is going to necessarily be bred while she is still in milk. I mean, I guess you could say, well, because, you know, if you need a 300-day lactation and then you have a five-month, so 150-day gestation, you're at 450 days and there's only 365 days a year. So options there would be if you wanted her to only make milk and not make babies, you could not breed her until the end of that 300-day lactation and then breed her for a later kidding the next season. So, I mean, that's that's totally a personal decision. You have to look at your calendar and think about where you live in the world and uh, whether having kids, you know, three months later than you might normally is something that you want to do. Uh, it's everybody, everybody's got their own system that they prefer. My concern from a a medical standpoint would be that what you do not want to do is have a pregnant or a, a, well, a milking doe that's bred and then continue to milk her up through the late stages of pregnancy. Uh, that the early, the first three months, two to th two months especially, three months of pregnancy are less of uh, intense metabolic strain on the dough. Uh, most of the like physical growth and like weight gain of the fetuses and things like that happens in the last third of the pregnancy in small ruminants. So that's when if you would have your dough, you're trying to milk your dough and she's trying to get enough calories to perhaps multiple fetuses, then you could absolutely have an issue where she just physically can't take in enough calories to maintain herself and milking and multiple babies that are trying to grow. Uh, this can be an issue even if you have a dry doe uh, with multiple fetuses. Some, some breeds tend to be more... Um, prone to issues than others, but then you're looking at a negative, wait, yeah, so you're looking at a negative energy balance. The doe can't eat enough to uh, 
support herself and the growing babies and we get into what we call pregnancy toxemia and I can have another episode dedicated to talking just about that and I'll pro- man, it's probably like a good time of year to talk about that so we can do that after this episode <laughs> um, so that's that's uh, considering one consideration for your your pregnant doe is making sure that you think about drying off and giving her adequate time for her udder to you know stop making milk and then start back up again this is also going to be important for the baby because if you just continue milking that dough right up until she kids again, she is not going to have, she's not going to produce colostrum for her kids the way that she should. Um, There's probably actually not very much information like published or anything like that about those kinds of situations because you just, it's just typically not done. Like you typically are looking at a 60 day dry period minimum Uh, more than that is fine we tend to stop milking in November or December and we don't start kidding until the beginning of March because it's February February and Maine is cold some people start kidding in January up here I just don't like to deal with the cold so (laughs) March is still cold but um it tends to be a little bit closer to springtime, so we, we that's what we do. Um, so considering your timing, what your dough is doing for lactation, and uh, that is going to be important in terms of her energy consumption, the baby's energy consumption, and her ability to produce colostrum correctly. Uh, so then we're going to kind of move on through the progression of a pregnancy and whether she was milking in the early part of her pregnancy or not, you're going to have a point where you have a doe that's in her later stages of pregnancy and, uh, dried off for your doe. If you, I'm going to talk a little bit about like nutritional requirements, necessities here, uh, your dough that is milking in early pregnancy should still be fed as though she is a milking animal because she is. So for me, that means that my does, if they're still milking, they're still getting a 20% protein uh, milk lactating. They actually get a lactating cow pellet um, and we custom blend it. Uh, as they as they use it my husband custom blends it with minerals and other oats and corn and stuff to keep them interested in it um so she the the fetus is small the the body is changing the uterus is changing excuse me the placenta is developing all of those things are happening and it's very very reasonable to continue to feed that dough grain basically um as that dough is dried off so for us we usually like we usually start to breed october ish and maybe milk that animal through mid-december if we're feeling like we can milk for that long Uh, and then there's a couple things you have to think about as you're drying off so drying off does is going to be easier 
if you re- reduce their caloric intake. So if you reduce that amount of grain that they're getting and or if you reduce the amount of protein that is available in that grain, those are both strategies that you can use to help them slow down with the milk production. It's very reasonable to do that. Um, scientifically, we don't really know why milk production stops, like what the mechanism is. Uh, I can talk about drying off goats in another episode someday, but um, basically drying off, you just, you do have to stop at some point. And depending on the individual animal, sometimes they can be uncomfortable and have pressure in their udder, but it seems that that pressure is necessary and part of like the mechanism that will make them dry off. So... I also have never had human children, so I don't know how that goes with human milk production. If you've ever had human children, you might know about that better than I do. I'm sure it's not super fun and comfortable, but, yeah, you know, can't can't milk forever, especially if you're making more babies. Um, so when we dry off our does, they should usually be bred. Sometimes we have some stragglers, um, but the after they are dried off we stop giving them grain altogether with few exceptions so usually that first month month and a half of pregnancy or in like December January pretty much nobody needs anything besides like constant good quality hay I probably will have another episode to talk about hay in general um I, I know I've always, I touch on it here and there, but it's probably worth a, a full talk about it. Um, the ruminants, I'm sure I've said before, can just, they can have hay in front of them all the time. And they should. Like, they will stop. They won't, their stomachs won't explode. They are not horses. Uh, where, I mean, certainly they... I have seen animals have surgical colic type lesions, but uh, goats, that is. But it is not the issue that it is in monogastric animals like horses. Um, so they they can eat and eat and eat and eat, eat. They should have hay in front of them all the time, especially like for your pregnant animals, like a nice quality hay, second cut, third cut maybe third cuts a little bit of overkill but it is nice to get them something that is not just sticks and actually has a little bit of nutritional value to it um i said with a few exceptions so exceptions for us uh for does that maybe are getting some grain when they are in their early pregnancy is an is an evaluation of the individual animal so does that doe have a thin body condition score? Is she a really heavy milker and she puts all of her calories into her milk while she is lactating? Uh, so if that is the case, then after she's dried off, we'd like to get her back having a little bit more flesh on her going into the winter and the cold months and then maybe having some reserves uh, to help her support her kids that are growing. So we might supplement that dough with some grain. Uh, other things that we, other doughs that we may give some extra food to, older doughs, uh, doughs who historically have 
a lot of babies like triplets or quads we certainly can support them with some more food what we tend to do with our grain in the winter is we tend to back off our percent of protein so instead of the 20 percent uh lactating cow formula that is like the primary pellet of our grain we back it off to a 16 percent protein which works for us um then when the so we fill our silo with three ton silo with 16 percent gets us through the winter and then once that's empty usually it's the spring usually the timing works out really well and we'll bump it up sometimes we'll bump it up to a round of 18 and then up to 20 sometimes we'll go straight up to 20 i kind of let my husband determine what he'd like to do depending on how hard he'd like to push the does for milk production um yeah so the with with a few exceptions uh basically animals that look like they could use the extra help the extra groceries we mostly just feed hay for the first two-thirds of the pregnancy um after that point there we will start you know looking at the calendar when we get to about a month out before due dates we'll look at the calendar see who's due and start to separate these animals so that they are getting some grain at least once a day um and this you know evaluating the individual animal is always important looking at who who's doing what who needs what how everybody's appetite is um there's that once you get to that last four to six weeks of pregnancy you are going to your doe wants some more food Um, she needs some more calories that's when those babies are really growing fast they're really drawing on her ability to make energy and make get uh, consume calories for their growth so it's important that she is able to do that. Now, there's a couple things to think about here with your with your pregnant doe, your late gestation doe, so late in her pregnancy, and um, especially, you know, if you've got a doe that is, uh, <laughs> we'll call them fertile myrtles, um, where they tend to have multiple babies uh, or you know, big babies or whatever it is. There's a couple things to think about. First of all, just think about the anatomy of your your goat. Um, People... I mentioned, I think, in the pregnancy detection episode, like, sometimes it's really hard to tell whether a doe is pregnant or not. Um, One of my favorite does last year, I was like, oh, she's not bred. We ultrasounded, and when we did, she was a little bit early for me to catch it, and then, like, months later, I was like, oh, she's totally pregnant. But she's kind of a house anyway. Like, and... I was like, oh, she's just her normal gigantic self. Um, And then she had three really good-sized babies in there, too. (laughs) So, um, but thinking about the anatomy of that, that goat is a big goat, and normally she looks big. And she's a big enough animal to the point where she was hiding three babies in there, and I didn't even really think that she was pregnant until, like, a good ways into her pregnancy. Um, 
the the abdomen of any animal is like a to, to a certain degree a finite space there's only so much volume in that abdomen that things that you know can be filled with room so it's like you got the ruminant gastrointestinal system so you've got you know your multiple compartment stomach rumen reticulum omasum abomasum that all takes up an amount of space and then you've got a whole bunch of small intestine you've got a cecum um you've got all this basically all these guts that are hanging out in this big old abdomen and then suddenly you have a uterus and uterus is like the most crazy organ ever um when when the uterus is not full of babies it is small like even even a cow like it's harder to appreciate in a goat because like you can't rectally palpate a goat like you can a cow and like when you go and palpate cows to check for pregnancy if they're not pregnant like think how big a cow is a cow is like you know 1200 pounds or something like that probably your average Holstein and if I palpate her rectally, I can feel her uterus. If she is not bred, her uterus is, like, not much bigger than my hand, like, up to, like, my mid-forearm. It, you know, it's a little bigger than that, but, like, that's a pretty comparable size. So that organ that's, like, maybe, you know, a foot across and, like, vagina and cervix that's maybe, like, you know... I don't know, three inches in diameter. Like, that's not a huge organ, and it's not taking up a huge amount of space in the abdomen. Even in cows, like, sometimes you go in there and, you know, you can pull the whole uterus of a cow that's not bred, like, right up into her pelvis and, like, let it sit there on the inside of the pelvis. It's it's not even in the abdomen. It's not taking up any space. But then that uterus in the cow, you know, can also accommodate a, a, you know, a hundred pound baby. So that is completely insane. Um, When I have done like postmortems on goats, like the, on a dry doe, the uterus, like the horns of the uterus are these little like fingers. The, The uterus is small when it is not making babies so my point in talking about all this is like normally that big abdomen is full of guts and being full of guts it has lots of room to be full of food so that goat has a lot of space to eat forage and grain and whatever else happens to be around and its body is well able to convert that into energy when there's a bunch of babies taking up you know suddenly there's babies taking up what maybe like 30 percent of the abdomen that goat has 30 percent less room to fill with food um so she still needs she still needs the same amount if not more energy as she gets later into the pregnancy this is just like a a volume fitting things into the guts like you can't you can't fit the same amount of food you can't eat the same amount of food (laughs) like people who get like a gastric sleeve or gastric bypass surgery to physically inhibit 
them from being able to eat the same amount of food that they once did. Like, it's a physical change in the abdomen. So say, saying nothing of, like, the calorie consumption of, you know, multiple fetuses and things like that, you just don't have enough room to fit the same amount of calories into the, the stomach, the rumen, uh, all that stuff. So this is another reason that it's important to think about what your goat's eating and how can you facilitate them getting enough calories. I think I talked in the kid, in the kid nutrition episode about like how much more calorie dense milk is than grain and how much more calorie dense grain is than grass or hay. And the same rule applies here. Like you can't the the amount of calories in you know a pound of grain compared to a pound of hay is completely different. It's just you know you can't. And then a pound of hay also volume wise is so much larger than a pound of grain. So you can't, you got to think about what fits in there. How can I get this dough calories in an efficient way so that she can support herself and her babies? I hope that made sense. Um, So yeah, feeding grain in later pregnancy is very reasonable. One thing I would like to debunk is the thing of people saying you should not feed a pregnant doe grain because it's going to make the babies too big. That is not a thing. Not a thing. Um, You don't need to feed a pregnant doe grain in early pregnancy because she doesn't need it. Uh, The babies are not big enough yet to be putting a significant strain on her metabolism and she, you know, she's not making milk. She's basically just chilling. So she doesn't need grain at that point. She does need grain later on in her pregnancy. There are exceptions to this rule. Sometimes some animals are really just metabolically efficient and they're kind of fat and they don't need the extra calories. Um, So that's good. But like, you got to know your animals and be aware of what they're doing and what they need. I will talk about pregnancy toxemia in another episode because that all relates very much to what I've been talking about here. Um, yeah. So the thing, the thing, the babies are going to be as big as the babies are going to be for the most part. Um, you, that is going to be determined much more on um, how many babies there are, how big the mom is, and how big the dad is. Like, the, the size of babies depends much more on, like, their placental attachment. So how much placenta did that baby get to be attached to? How much, like, physical connection did it have to mom versus how much another one did and like when you get into more multiple kid births so like I've had quads where you get like three really hefty good size you know eight pound eight nine pound kids out of a doe and then you get one little peanut that's like two or like three or four pounds and that has nothing to do with like it's, it's just a physical... Obviously, there's not something wrong with that pregnancy if there's three robust, gigantic, healthy babies. The fourth baby just kind of got the short end of the stick and did not 
have as much placental attachment so basically the other three got to hog all the nutrition so the physical anatomy um roll of the dice there sometimes those ones that don't have enough attachment they may have like you know have an early embryonic death or may not uh, make it to full gestation so sometimes you have like two normal alive healthy big babies and then you have one that like was like oh this one stopped developing some reason during gestation and that can be why so yeah um the thing about not feeding your dough grain or whatever like not not a thing the babies need to grow and the dough will like the dough's body and metabolism will sacrifice herself to support those babies which is not something that you want you want everybody to have adequate nutritional support Uh, Another thing to think about that last, like, six-ish weeks of pregnancy is uh, boosting your CDT. So that time frame, that month and a half before... before kidding is a good time frame to try to plan to do that if I would what I would recommend as far as vaccinating is that if like if that dough normally was had or had like been boosted in the fall or something like that what I would recommend is giving it early rather than waiting so what you're going to do by vaccinating that dough in that time frame is you are going to prime her immune system to give a little antibody boost uh, for those clostridial diseases so um, clostridium C and D and tetanus and so her body is going to be primed for those antibodies and then her colostrum also should be primed for those antibodies so when she starts to make colostrum and then the kids drink it they are going to hopefully have better protection against those diseases which is good you want that um so six-ish weeks before kidding that's totally fine to do then i will probably i'm saying this a lot this time for the things i should be making a list of things i'm gonna talk about in other episodes i've had a, a good number of people asking me about bosi which is selenium uh this winter and i'm not gonna open that can of worms right now um Some people think that they want to give it at the same time as CDT. Uh, I will just say that I, as a rule, do not give selenium um, just willy-nilly because it should be, a couple of reasons, it should be adequately provided in the diet. Um, It is probably better absorbed from the gastrointestinal tract than from an injection. And um, selenium has a very, very narrow therapeutic index. So uh, it is something that you can give too much selenium, and that can be lethal. Uh, I'll spend another episode talking about selenium at some point. It's sometimes I feel like selenium is a, is something that I, I don't want to argue about um, with people who really think it is doing something. Uh, it's, yeah, I'll spend another whole episode. Yeah, I'm not going to open that can of worms right now. 
Um, so yeah, we're at six-ish weeks before we have boosted CDT. We are making sure that the does are comfortable, and at this point, they should be getting some grain. And another reason to start feeding grain to these does is to start to adjust their rumen. Uh, bugs to be using grain again if they've been eating only hay for a couple of months and then all of a sudden they kid and you're like oh here's a whole new like milking ration like you're going to shock the the rumen a little bit there and can end up with some gastrointestinal symptoms uh like diarrhea usually is probably like what I would expect most commonly. Um, the rumen tends to be a little bit more acidic when the um, when grain is introduced. So that change that can change like a whole bunch of stuff. And if it's an abrupt change, then it, you know you can see, I guess, pathology or you know abnormal clinical response. Like I mentioned, diarrhea from that uh, so that's that I feel like I've got a, gotten us pretty pretty much through the doe's pregnancy um, you know we talked about drying off and what to feed your dry early pregnancy doe and then getting now up till about like six to eight weeks four to eight weeks before pregnancy uh, you've boosted your CDT you have started to reintroduce grain into that doe's diet um, things to consider for like that last month or so of gestation are ju is just like keeping the dough comfortable uh, not stressed out depending on your goat's housing situation like it's nice to make sure everybody's got enough space to get away from each other uh, some does really like have their friends their you know their social group that's their friends and they hang out together and that's relaxing for them but then at least in my milking barn like the younger does tend to be lower on the totem pole so it's important that they have space where they can get away from those older does who are a bit bossy and head buddy and can be kind of princessy uh and and bossy so making sure everybody's relaxed um i tried to uh, avoid or procrastinate on things like hoof trimming in late pregnancy. Uh, some does get really angry about hoof trimming unless they're so, like so unless they're really bad and really need to be done. I try to wait until after they've kitted uh, the. And to on the opposite side of that, if they haven't been done and they're looking like they will need to be done in the not-too-distant future, I try to take care of it earlier in the first half of pregnancy so I don't have to worry about it in the second half of pregnancy or in late pregnancy. Uh, you got a lot of... By the time you've got a, a dairy dough, you know, a 200-pound dairy dough who's full of you know, like 25 pounds of babies and then probably another gallon to two, probably like another gallon is 
reasonable another gallon of fluid so another eight to ten pounds of fluid so she's got carrying an extra 40 ish pounds in her abdomen it's a lot of pressure on those little those little legs um, so if the feet are addressed nicely that can be helpful um, as I think I mentioned that if when we start our does back on grain we usually start once a day I usually probably start them at about half a third to a half of like what a normal milking ration would be once a day and then some if they it's all very much on what they need if they're looking good they're eating well we'll, we'll increase the volume of the grain a little bit as we get closer to the end of pregnancy get closer to the due date and uh, sometimes we'll start grading them twice a day at that point too uh i'll have another episode with like kidding pro tips uh that'll be fun and uh, more specifics about like your really like paraparturient stuff to to do and be aware of right around like birth the actual stages of labor and all of that stuff but yeah i think that kind of wraps up your your overview of taking care of your pregnant doe if you think there's anything i've missed or if you have any questions about any of that stuff please feel free to email me goat.cara at gmail.com uh or hit me up through the website goatdoc.com and yeah time to start to think about making hashtag kidding 2019 a thing pretty soon i've got, i still haven't ultrasounded my does i have like uh, yeah it's it's been a busy 2019 so far and my husband was like hey can we ultrasound these does pretty soon so we have some idea about some of them and I, yeah at this point a lot of them are so far along i'm like yeah there's no way there's not babies in there but I, like i said they can surprise you so maybe we will be less surprised this year <laughs> um i think that's it for now thanks so much for listening uh if you have a minute and you haven't already i haven't looked for a while so if you have rated and reviewed on itunes thank you so much um and if you haven't done that and you can take a second to rate and review on itunes that would be much appreciated and uh i think that's gonna do it and i will talk to you next time